This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Chad Hopkins, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Katie. How are you doing tonight, Katie? I'm well. How are you, Chad? I am doing well. I've enjoyed my weekend, getting ready to start a work week. Uh, it's going to be stressful, but I'm glad to have The Office tonight. <laughs> I hope you're not too affected by this flooding. No, I'm thankfully far enough north that it doesn't really affect me too much. We're just seeing a lot of the, the fallout rain kind of stuff, but it, it's yeah. not too bad here. Well, good to hear. Yeah. Well, uh, hopping right into it. Good news. Big news for us. We are officially a five-star podcast. Thank you so, so much to those who have rated and reviewed the show so far on iTunes, um, including our brand new, really, really nice review from, we believe you pronounce your name, R. Pfeiffer as your username. Thank you so much. Really, really nice reviews from all of you. Uh, five stars. We really, really appreciate your input. And uh, we hope you'll continue to be active as you have so far. And for those of you that haven't um, reviewed, we really uh, hope you will. We hope you'll reach out on social media and, and review us on iTunes if, if you feel so inclined. We would really appreciate it. Yes, we would. And it's also worth noting that we have six ratings on iTunes and four reviews. So even if you don't feel like you have the time to write out your thoughts, you can just go over to iTunes, find us, and then click the star button that you think we deserve. <laughs> and uh, that that helps even so. I mean, reviews are nice, but the star rating by themselves help as well. So please consider going to do that to give us a little bit of a boost. Now, also something else worth mentioning is we were featured on an episode of the Podcast Discovery Show. Uh, these guys, every week, they take podcasts, they they suggest them to each other, then they all go and listen to them, and they come back the next week, and they talk about those podcasts, what they liked, and uh, it's just a way for you to go out and discover new shows. And on their latest episode, episode 22, they talked about us, and it was awesome. It was very positive. They're big fans of The Office, as are we, obviously, and we're just very grateful that we were featured on a show like this. So if you're interested in hearing what they had to say, and if you're interested in learning about other podcasts, definitely go check them out, and I'll make sure to put a link to that in the show notes. Absolutely, and maybe um, we'll make sure to, to tag them on Twitter and thank them for that nice review. We will. Let's go ahead and transition into our episode discussion, starting with episode 207, episode 7 of season 2, The Client. This aired on November 8th of 2005 and was directed by showrunner Greg Daniels and written by our very own Toby, Paul Lieberstein. So in this episode, Michael and Jan take a really big client, or possible client, out to Chili's. This is the representative for Lackawanna County. Uh, they take him to Chili's on a business meeting. Jan is uh, super prepared with talking points and graphs, but surprisingly, it's Michael who, in the end, wins over the client with his humor. They essentially get no business done, but they manage to spend the whole workday at Chili's. Meanwhile, at the office, Pam finds a screenplay in Michael's office that Michael wrote, and they hold a table reading of the script. When Dwight gets upset after learning that Michael originally named his idiot sidekick Dwight, he leaves the table read and suggests that everyone go outside and shoot fireworks. Jim and Pam watch these fireworks from the rooftop in what looks an awful lot like a date. Michael and Jan end up closing the deal. They're thrilled, and a recently divorced Jan kisses Michael as they head back to his car. Um, the next morning, we see Jan pull up to the office in a cab and retrieve her car, wearing the same clothes as the day before. 
Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking before we hit the record button tonight. This is a really good Michael episode because, you know, we've talked about in the past how Michael must be good at his job, very good at his job in some capacity for everybody to deal with him in this manager position. And this episode is finally real evidence of him being great at his job, or at least being a very, very good salesman. I had that down as well. And I think it really surprises Jan because as soon as Michael starts talking to the client, she just loses all hope and we see her order a drink and, you know, there goes the whole day. But towards the end of the meeting, or really the end of the day, it's dark out, they've moved to the bar and... Michael seamlessly transitions all of their extraneous conversation back into the sale. And we see Jan perk up immediately. You you see her, you know, slouching in her chair to all of a sudden antenna up listening to Michael make this sale. She's very impressed. It's funny because when Jan first shows up, she says, okay, Michael, we're going to the Radisson and I'm going to be in charge. I want you to let me run the meeting and do all the talking. You're just sort of there as the branch representative. But then Michael says, actually, I changed it to a Chili's because <laughs> because Chili's is the new golf course and that's where business is done. And then when they get to the the dinner at the restaurant, he completely takes charge there, too. And he says, OK, let's order an awesome blossom. Let's get baby back ribs. Let's get drinks. Let's let's do all these things that are not business related. And so Michael is really putting everything through the ringer, he's really coming alive as a salesman. He has fun. They share some food. They drink. They tell stories. They build a relationship. And then he makes a sale. And like I said, that's why Michael's a branch manager. Because his moments of brilliance, though they may be few and far between, are so brilliant. And he, he makes business personal. He's a people person when it matters. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Which takes Jan by absolute shock. Which is, I think, why she kisses him at the end. Which... Uh, surprises everyone and definitely surprises Michael. It does. And there's also a shift that goes on between Michael and Jan throughout the course of the episode. Aside from him proving to her that he's a really capable salesman, he has a talking head at the start of the episode before the meeting where he says something, he, he calls Jan cold in one of his talking heads. He says, if she was sitting across from you on a train and not moving, you might think she was dead. But then they get to the restaurant. It's revealed that she's no longer Jan Levinson Gold. She's just Jan Levinson. And then all of a sudden he's he's concerned. He he he's worried about her. I didn't know you had a divorce. What what's wrong? What happened? And then throughout the course of the meal, they get to playing truth or dare. And he he asks her to tell the truth about what happened with the divorce. And so he he's asking for insight. And they're trying to comfort her a little bit. And then it turns out we learn later they go back to her hotel room and they they talk through it all. And he's there to comfort her and basically be a buddy more than anything else, much to Michael's uh, uh, ignorance. But then there's a moment at the very end, it's the next morning, and Dwight confronts Michael about Jan coming back in a taxi in her same clothes. He says, did you do her? And first Michael says, this is none of your affair. But then he says, she's strong, she's soft, thoughtful, and sexy. And he's completely head over heels with her. So he goes from cold to soft, thoughtful, and sexy. And... It's just a complete 180 from his opinion at the start of the episode to the end. And I have to wonder with Michael, he doesn't seem like a ladies' man. I mean, he, until this point, has had 
no girlfriends that we know of, I believe, and kind of hated Jan until she showed any interest in him. So I, I wonder if that was a relationship he had hoped to have at some point, was an intimate relationship with Jan, or if she showed interest first and, oh, wait, she is sexy. Who knows? I think the moment he realized she was an available woman, a switch flipped. I agree. Because that's who Michael is. Because, you know, you think back to Hot Girl in the season finale of season one, and he's fawning over Katie, Amy Adams. And it's because she's a single a single woman. And he had established that at first, too. He said uh, something about your boyfriend. And, oh, I don't actually have a boyfriend. Oh, now I'm, now I'm going to throw everything into this. And he really sort of does the same thing here, except it's a, a little bit more subtle when you're talking Michael, because he's actually trying to, to make a relationship out of it rather than talking coffee the whole time. Right. And it truly is a relationship as we'll see in the next episode i won't i won't jump right ahead but he really wants a lot out of this one interaction he tries to make it into something it really wasn't right to to sort of wrap up my thoughts on michael in this episode it's just great that we expect one thing from him and everybody expects one thing from him jan wants to run the meeting because i'm sure she thinks that if michael did he'd botch it that's her big fear. And she even reserves herself to it at some point during the meeting at Chili's when Michael and Christian are getting along really well. They're singing the baby back ribs song from Chili's. And she says, okay, waiter, I need a vodka tonic. <laughs> and so she, she just sort of gives in to this situation. It, it's going downhill from here. Might as well get some alcohol out of it. So it's nice that she is surprised. And then we see in a deleted scene, Phyllis asks Stanley uh, at their little desk cluster, do you think they're going to get the the client? And Stanley just gives her this look. And then he looks back down at his work and Phyllis says, Stanley, why don't you always answer me? And he looks up and he says, I'm sorry, Phyllis. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't think they're going to get the account. And that's that. It, it's, it's very clear what everybody thinks of Michael and his abilities. But hey, this time, this time he proves us wrong. And it's awesome. Because it is an awfully big client. It's the entirety of Lackawanna County. I assume that means from a government point of view, maybe all the government paper that they'll be using or something, but it's clear that it is a big client, probably the biggest that at least Scranton has had come in. And Jan just has no faith that Michael will get the sale, but we see him do it. And it is Michael's first success with a woman in the show. So not big any day. small thing. <laughs> Now, back to the other members of the office, Jim has a talking head at the start where he says, you know, if they did get this client, the downsizing could be prevented and he could work there for years and years and years. <laughs> he, he seems so excited about the, the possibility of working here for a long, long time. It's almost like he's actually hoping for the Scranton branch to close. For, for, he's hoping for this downsizing because it will give him a reason to leave and find elsewhere, where really, I guess, the thing that's tying him down here is Pam. Right. I don't think Jim would really have any objection to being let go, except for Pam. I think he would be much happier in his work life anyway, looking for another job, but Pam. And then speaking of Pam... She walks into the break room and everybody's exchanging worst first date stories. And Oscar's talking about how somebody asked for his background papers or something like that to make sure he was a legal citizen. And then Pam says, oh, I win. And she tells a story without revealing names, but it's pretty obvious she's talking about Roy, about how he took her on a date to a minor league hockey game with his brother. And then when she went to use the restroom, the game ended and they left without her. 
And really the only comment I have to that is, sigh, you know, (laughs) it's just more of the same. I'm so tired of Roy and how he treats Pam and getting more background between the two of them. It's just not something I'm really, uh, well, obviously I'm not happy about it, but it's just sad to see a character that we like, we like Pam, go through something so difficult. There was another Jim and Pam moment at the very end of the episode when Jim sort of offends Pam. It's it's kind of their first, one of their first tiffs that we see on camera. After Jim and Pam have their pseudo date on the rooftop and in the parking lot, the next morning we see Jim and Pam kind of talking about that and Pam is insistent, that was not a date, you know, we weren't dancing, we didn't have a romantic dinner, we were just at the office. And she takes it pretty personally that, you know, this was not a date. And so Jim kind of sulks back to his desk and we see him look into Michael's office and they share a look, just this knowing (sighs) women look (laughs) and um, that they shared a similar experience during this, this past 24 hours. Yeah. I love that look between Jim and Michael. Uh, It, it, they communicate so much by just looking at each other and sort of shrugging and nodding their heads. But I also love that, that dinner quote date scene between Jim and Pam on the roof where they've been reading the threat level midnight script, which I want to talk about alone in just a minute because it's so great. But uh, afterwards, Dwight says, hey, my uncle bought me some fireworks. So they go outside and they're going to shoot off some fireworks. But Jim and Pam go to the roof and Jim makes some grilled cheeses and then grabs some sodas from the vending machine. And there's fireworks and they have a good time out there. And there's like a citronella candle to... Uh, get rid of bugs and all that kind of stuff and then at the end of the night they say goodbye but then jim is putting in his headphones his earbuds to listen to his ipod and pam says hey you got some new music he says yeah and so they share the headphones and listen to music together they stand there and they basically sway or tap their legs or whatever And the reason I wanted to bring that point up specifically is because I once had a friend in high school who referred to this, the the idea of two people splitting a pair of earbuds to listen to music together as iPod sex. (laughs) And it certainly has, it certainly has that kind of weight to it here. It it is very much like a first date. And certainly I, I wrote down it's like a first date before I remembered that Jim said it later in the episode. And so it was funny how I, I, you just get that vibe from it, that it is very date like. And the the idea that my friend had of calling this iPod sex <laughs> just really seemed to fit the situation. When you think about those, you know, first date nerves or whatever that you get on a first date, watching this episode, you get that feeling, that kind of awkward, expectant, romantic, but confusing, you know, all those first date feelings. You definitely get that watching them kind of sway to the music or eat alone on a rooftop. It's a very romantic setting, but they're just friends. It's very confusing, I'm sure. And during the deleted scenes, Jim gets his own talking head talking about his first date uh, or bad first date experience. And he talks about a couple years ago, he just met this girl. They went on a lunch date just a couple blocks away. And just like Pam did, he's not mentioning any names, but I think it's pretty transparently about Pam. He says, you know, it's not really a first date if the girl goes home to her fiance. And so Jim is just really not having a great time with this. He He's trying to convince Pam, I get, maybe even not trying to convince Pam. He's just trying to spend time with her because he enjoys her company and he would certainly like it to go farther. Uh, he even pokes at her. And this is what really irritates her is when he says, hey, at least I didn't leave you at a hockey game. And that he's right. To be clear, he's right. But 
he definitely took it too far in that situation. Yeah, and he says during that deleted scene that it's funny because my best first date was also my worst first date because that, quote, date, even though it wasn't a date, was with Pam, so it was wonderful, but it was also his worst because it wasn't a date and it she was in love with somebody else. I did just want to mention that we did see a lighter side of Dwight during this episode, which was kind of nice. He, um, until this point, has been pretty one-tracked, I think. He's been all about the job, all about, you know, Michael or the job or Dunder Mifflin. But during this episode, we see him loosen up a little bit. He's playing along with The Office. He's reading the Threat Level Midnight script, and he's shooting fireworks. He kind of gives in to the Office camaraderie, which is a nice side of Dwight. It is. I I do like Dwight in this episode. It's funny that he just randomly has fireworks that his uncle bought for him for some reason. That elicits a whole story that I just... (laughs) That's so funny. (laughs) And still, at the start of the episode, Michael finds a way to give Dwight a hard time. Um, As him and Jan are on their way out of the office, he asks everyone to wish him luck. And then when Dwight does, he says, good luck, Jan. Good luck, Michael. Michael calls him a kiss ass. And I mean, he just can't give Dwight a break. So I think that's part of the reason why Dwight might be so willing to give in to reading the Threat Level Midnight script, because, hey, it gets it gives him a chance to be the boss for once. He's playing the lead, uh, which is a very smart move on Jim's part. Well, I think that might be all we have for some of the uh, more important character interactions for this episode. What about some funny moments, Chad? What did you have? Well, we start with the cold open. Uh, where Ryan comes in and he's got Michael's dry cleaning. And you'd think dry cleaning, okay, he's got a suit, he's got a couple nice shirts, uh, maybe some slacks, I don't know. But instead, he's got one bag holding a necktie and one bag holding a pair of jeans. And then Pam reveals to us that Michael becomes a completely different kind of person when he's wearing his jeans. Uh, he, he's like flexing weights and playing around with his feet in buckets. And he's just being even goofier than he normally would be. She thinks that that's the reason why they institute a casual Friday is so that Michael has a chance to, to wear his jeans and <laughs> show off for some reason to the rest of the office. I love that cold open. And I also love that. So Pam takes the um, the dry cleaning from Ryan And she just like wraps it up and slings it under her desk because (laughs) it's a pair of jeans. Who gets jeans dry cleaned? And it's a great moment. (laughs) Also with Michael, I love that he quotes Small Businessman when he's talking to Jan about switching the venue to Chili's instead of the Radisson. But he's not just quoting Small Businessman. He's quoting a letter he sent to the editor that hasn't been published yet. But still, he he's he's quoting it as if it was published and that he was a published... It, it's just this insane notion where he says, Chili's is a new golf course. It's where business happens. Uh, and it's something he sent into Small Businessman and not something they actually printed. He's just trying to persuade Jan of, of his switch when it's just as crazy. It was still his idea for, for the magazine and they didn't take it either. It still hasn't been published. <laughs> no. And then he digs this huge hole with Jan when they're trying to leave the office. He he says, you know, this meeting's at four. It's probably going to be really late when we get back. So you guys, you can go ahead and leave now. Not a big deal. And Jan says, Michael, do you always make a habit of shutting down the office when you leave for an hour? And he says, no, that would be inefficient. They just don't get a lot of work done when I'm gone. Wait, that's not true. I, I know how to delegate. They actually get more work done when I'm not here. Wait, 
not more. The same amount of work is done whether I'm here or not. So he, he like digs a hole and then he digs a little bit deeper and then he puts a little bit on top and then he digs down again. And it's just this fun little back and forth where he's realizing what he's saying is bad and he's trying to fix it. And he finally settles on the office would be the same whether I was here or not. <laughs> and they all seem to be worse than the last. Like that's got to be the worst one is I don't matter. They get the same amount of work done. My presence here is not necessary. <laughs> and then as they leave, he says ciao. And then he points and says adios specifically to Oscar. And then we cut to Oscar and he's just sort of shaking his head. Uh, funny moments. I also like when um, Jan and Michael arrive at the meeting. Michael's dying to tell Christian, the the client, one joke or any joke. And, and Jan allows him, okay, fine, you can have one joke. So Michael ducks away, calls the office, and makes Pam retrieve a joke book that he keeps in his office. And <laughs> knows these jokes well enough that Pam gets a few lines, or, or a few words even, into the joke. And he says, oh, no, not that one. Or, yes, this one. Because he's read through this joke book apparently a lot. <laughs> it's just, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I love that he has specific ones marked. But also, I love that he, he wants to tell a joke that he thinks is really funny. But then when he finds out he can only tell one joke, he wants to make sure he tells the perfect joke. And so that's when he calls up Pam. Hey, I need you to get some data. <laughs> that's the way he phrases it. Right. Some data. Uh, but it's just joke books that he's put note cards in to bookmark specific jokes. That's great. And then him and Christian, Tim Meadows' character, singing the Baby Back Ribs song at the dinner table is just a top moment from the episode for sure. And we learn in the commentary that that actually wasn't scripted. That was just something that they did in rehearsals that worked really well. And I think it was the director that said, yeah, you have to keep that in. Because with an iconic song like that from Chili's, you got to throw it in. You do. And they they put it together so well. It, it's just a, a fun little moment. And I think that's the moment when Jan decides, hey, I need a vodka tonic. <laughs> Melora Harden, who plays Jan, admitted also in the commentary that, and she admits this a lot in her commentary, is that she just has the hardest time keeping a straight face. She is always commenting in the commentary about how difficult it is for her to stay in character. I understand completely. I don't think I would be able to keep a straight face if I was around Steve Carell, especially for any given amount of time. Uh, oh gosh, that man. He's so <laughs> funny. I will watch anything that Steve Carell does just because he's in it. He's one of the few actors that I will follow his career forever. Me too. You know, when it comes to film specifically, I'm not typically a very huge fan of comedy as a genre i like funny movies i like laughing in a theater but a lot of the times you go to a comedy movie and it's just like raunchy sex jokes the whole time and i'm just not into that but steve carell always manages to make me laugh whether it's stuff like an anchorman or in get smart or even something like evan almighty which is a perfectly harmless family film but he manages to just make it so much beyond that because he's so funny as an actor. And it's got to be a good combination of him picking quality material to do and him making material quality, if that makes sense. It's got to be some some combination because he has an ability to pick really good movies to be a part of and then makes them even better. I think so too. I have one more moment to mention before we get to Threat Level Midnight specifically. And it's when they finish reading the script for the night and they're out shooting fireworks. And it's Dwight and Kevin out by this fountain of sparks. 
and Dwight is like running around dancing and jumping over the fountain and having a good time. And Kevin is just sort of there cheering him on and he runs towards the fountain like he's about to try to jump over it. And then he he balks at the last second and he just claps instead like, yeah, go go Dwight. This is a good time. (laughs) It's just this very small Kevin moment that's only there for a second. But it's like he he thinks he's going to try to jump over it. And he says, you know, maybe this isn't a good idea. And he just claps instead. Well, also just how anticlimactic those fireworks are. <laughs> when, yeah. when Dwight said he had fireworks, I was thinking, you know, shooter fireworks, lots yeah. of, I don't know, explosions. This is just, like you said, just a sprinkler fountain, basically. It was just a <laughs> wimpy little, but they're enjoying it. And that's what matters. Yeah. I mean, if you said, if you want to see a real show, then come outside. I definitely wouldn't have thought spark fountains, but hey. Not so much. <laughs> if Dwight's into it, good for him. So, Threat Level Midnight. Yes, Threat Level Midnight. So, (laughs) Office fans know the significance of Threat Level Midnight, which really comes a lot later. But in this episode, we still get a lot of quality stuff. So, Pam finds it when she's looking for Michael's joke books and putting them away. And she takes it to Jim and she just sort of like casually tosses it on his desk. Like, check this. Check what I found. And Jim is so happy. He's so joyous. He finds the drawings and he's even happier. And quick side note, the the drawings that are in there of basically like sketch posters for the movie were done by Greg Daniels, uh, the showrunner and the director of this episode. They had hired a professional artist to come in and it was too good. So <laughs> Greg decided to to make it, quote, badder or not as good and draw them himself. So that's fun. And they do the natural thing, which is make copies and pass them out for a script reading. <laughs> and they truly have a table read. They're sitting in the uh, in the conference room, just like you would for any TV show table read or a movie table read. They do it 100% correctly. Props. <laughs> yeah, it, it's so good. Dwight even tries to stop them. And he changes his mind when Jim offers him the lead role of playing Agent Michael Scarn. <laughs> I think in the commentary, they mention, I think it's BJ Novak that mentions Dwight is torn between his desire to protect Michael and to play Michael. <laughs> right, to become Michael. It, it, <laughs> it's a fantastic little dilemma where he's like, you know, do I do I continue to try and be Michael's number two or do I just give in to my fantasy and be the number one for a change? And so he goes for it until the big Dwight controversy where Michael has obviously written this script initially with this character named Dwight, who's this inept, uh, old-fashioned, slang-spouting sidekick who is apparently causing the downfall of the United States. And he's gone through and he's done search and replace and replaced the word Dwight with the character named Samuel L. Chang, which is probably a play on Samuel L. Jackson knowing Michael. But it doesn't fix misspellings. So D-W-I-G-T gets through and Dwight does figure it out. And that's when he decides, I've had enough of this. Let's go shoot off some fireworks. And in the commentary, I keep pulling up the commentary, but it was an informative one. They talked about how hard it was to make that joke work because you've had to, there were so many parts. Okay, so first it was Dwight and then he replaced it and there was a misspelling and search and replace and just all of these things you had to know previously to make the joke work. But I think they did. That's a really funny moment. I think so too. And 
I think that's also the moment where they said that Jenna Fisher, Pam, had a cold and they were doing reshoots or something like that. And so she was having a hard time matching her voice during the cold to her voice when she didn't have the cold. Is is that the moment, I think? I believe it is, yeah. Which is something you don't even think about, that sometimes these shoots do take place over, you know, a few days or a week or two even, and you might be sick and you'd have to match that voice, which is really hard to do. It is. To sort of finish up the Threat Level Midnight talk, first, there is a character within the movie called Catherine Zeta-Jones. So we know that Michael has some form of celebrity crush. And then the commentary reveal that a lot of this scene was improvised, where it was just, it was a mix between trying to improvise and also look like you were reading from a script, which is a, a difficult balance, I can imagine. But it seems like that would be in another situation where I'd be in the room and it'd just be incredibly difficult to keep a straight face through it all. Pretty much this whole series, I I would have failed miserably because they would have fired <laughs> me for laughing the whole time. Just a couple of deleted scenes for me that I wanted to bring up. Um, at the start of the deleted scenes, it, ap- it appears that they cut something with Michael being concerned about fitness or calories intakes or anything like that. It was strange. He's talking to Pam about this egg yolk diet that he's on. Uh, which involves him hard-boiling eggs and then scooping out the yolk with the melon baller and eating that, which is sort of backwards from what you would expect from an egg diet. Like if you were thinking uh, like Rocky, you would think raw eggs. Uh, what is it for protein maybe? Even an egg white diet? Yeah, that's that's the other one I was yeah. thinking of. Is like if you the, the yolk has the more unhealthy parts of the egg – Typically. It's on the cholesterol, right? I think so. So it's just a strange diet, and I don't really know what brings it up. But then after that, he goes into the break room, and he's in the fridge, and he's dumping out a lot of non-spoiled food. And he tells Kevin, I just cannot be around carbs today. And it, I don't know what the deal is. I don't I don't know what. It has to be some sort of cut storyline, I'm sure. Uh, but Kevin just sort of stares on horrified <laughs> while Michael is tossing stuff in the trash. There's nothing really in this episode that ties to any kind of health or he's not trying to impress anybody in this episode with fitness. I I really don't know where that came from. Yeah, and he goes to Chili's and he has an an awesome blossom and baby back ribs. So I I definitely think it it was some sort of element that they cut at the beginning and in favor of something else, which I don't know what it was. They didn't talk about it in the deleted or in the commentary, but it's it's a funny deleted scene i guess (laughs) it is but yeah it didn't make any sense in the context of the show and there is one small sweet moment in a deleted scene where pam is just sort of staring absentmindedly at her desk and jim looks over and he decides to go say hi and she asks hey what are you doing she says i guess i was just staring at my desk he says should i should i let you get back to it uh she says yeah you should you should let me get back to work or whatever and it, it's just a, it's a small moment but i i always love those small jim pam moments and that's exactly what that is i also had a couple of commentary moments that we didn't touch on in the main discussion jenna as pam didn't like to have that fight with jim so jenna went up to john krasinski afterwards and made him hug her so that she knew that they were okay as people (laughs) because this was their first big uncomfortable moment and it wasn't even that big but it was so significant for their characters that jenna was just like i want to have my friend john back and made them hug and make up (laughs) i wonder i i didn't look into this ahead of time but i wonder if 
this was out of order with the previous episodes because I would think that the confrontation that they have in the fight where uh, Jim picks Pam up would be worse or there was one other one. But I think this one, yeah, the the moment in the fight where he picks her up is uncomfortable. But I think this one, because he does reference Roy, you know, saying, at least I didn't leave you at a hockey game. It's just a little too personal for Pam because that's her fiance picking her up. Yeah, while it's uncomfortable for people watching and for her, I think that this one just cuts a little bit too close to home. I think that's fair for sure. Something I really liked from the commentary was that the episode, or at least the chili sequence specifically, was shot in order, like in sequential order, to build the proper tension between Michael and Jan specifically. So it was this director's choice by Greg Daniels. You don't always do that. In fact, I'd say you probably rarely do that in shooting anything, whether it's a film or TV episode or documentary, you don't really shoot things in order. Uh, It's just not typically the way things are done. You shoot things in order of efficiency so that you are shooting everything that's in this location together and shooting things in this location together. And then you put everything in the correct order later. But it's really cool that they actually filmed the chili sequence sequentially. Which did um, probably waste some time, which is why, you know, they don't normally do that because you want to take people's schedules into account and location availability into account. But I think it was really important for them, more so than the inconvenience, to get that tension right, which they succeeded. I think they did, for sure. What other commentary facts did you want to mention? I had a few. Paul Lieberstein, who wrote this episode, did pull a real story uh, from his life to one of the awkward or bad first date stories. He was on a first date that his his date had done a thorough background check on him and grilled him with questions during the date, which he apparently dated this this person for quite a while, which is kind of funny. <laughs> and then I think my last thing was the cold open insinuates that they have a casual Friday, but I can't remember any episode of The Office in the entirety of the series follows up with that. I don't think that they actually do have a casual Friday. There's one episode, and I want to say it's season five or six, where they bring back, quote unquote, casual you are Friday. Right. Yes, because there are some very interesting outfits. That I totally <laughs> Yeah, and so we definitely have that to look forward to. But you're right. Largely, casual Friday is absent from the series, even though uh, we do get the cold open in this one. And then we do get that one future episode. Uh, later down the line. <laughs> the last commentary thing that I wanted to mention, just because it made me laugh, was that Paul Lieberstein and Greg Daniels re-recorded the, the rib slurping. They did the Foley work on the rib slurping. <laughs> There's this one cut where Christian and Michael are just going to town on some ribs, and the, the input from the microphones wasn't loud enough. <laughs> and so Paul Lieberstein and Greg Daniels went... Uh, in the editing room and they, they recorded themselves slurping on their fingers or whatever <laughs> in order to to really bring up sort of the gross factor in that scene. To those of you listening who um, don't know anything about Foley work, it's really, really interesting. It's where they go in and add the sound effects back after in, in, in post-production. Go look it up because it's really interesting stuff, but they got to, you know, suck on their fingers and make these noises in post, which is pretty <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, I love that fact. Now, for this episode's discussion topic, I wanted to ask you, Katie, if you wrote your own movie, a la Threat Level Midnight, 
<laughs> what would it be about? Give a brief outline or premise, and then I will do the same. Oh, I am struggling with this one. Um, <laughs> I was always, I think I'm a good writer, but it's not in creative writing. I am a, uh, I'm a research writer. Chad and I were familiar with a music history class we had to take in college, and those those essays were my lifeblood. I did well on those because that's what I do. I don't creative write at all. So probably it would be something close to my own life. The only fiction thing I could really think of would be maybe, oh, I don't know, maybe a Texas girl moves to New York and tries to maintain a positive person, <laughs> which is really <laughs> difficult to do in New York City when you're surrounded by so much like awfulness and poverty and mean people but there's a lot of beautiful stuff here too and just maybe a la kimmy schmidt kind of you know this super yeah. positive girl moves to a kind of grungy city and tries to make the best of it kinda, yeah that sounds fun what I'm thinking i'd watch a kimmy schmidt style movie that'd be great <laughs> yeah what about you i've done some creative writing in the past or some attempts at creative writing but largely i'm pretty much the same as you where I, I feel like I'm a great writer, but most of it is in nonfiction, like movie review writing or editorial kind of thing. But in my own practicing sessions, one idea that I played with a few years ago was an idea of this time travel robot that, you know, I, I'm obviously a big time travel fan being a fan of Back to the Future, but this this time travel robot that is revealed to be the not the mastermind, but the instigator behind famous events in history. So you find out that Lee Harvey Oswald didn't kill John F. Kennedy. It was this robot that then framed Lee Harvey Oswald. And then it, it time travels to, uh, I don't know, to, to just different events in history where you find out that this robot is actually the one that killed all these famous figures and not the figure from history that it was thought to be, which in retrospect sounds like a very sort of Michael Scott kind of idea. <laughs> uh, but that was never the intention. It was always sort of a uh, semi-serious time travel film that I had in mind. So To yeah. me, this sounds like a mix of Back to the Future and Forrest Gump. <laughs> and Forrest Gump. <laughs> Maybe even a little bit of The Terminator. Uh, all three of those mixed together, I think for sure. But uh, yeah, I I've written like a a prologue sort of thing to that in the past, but I haven't touched it in a long time. So all right, get on it. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's our next episode? So episode two hundred eight of The Office is called Performance Review. It aired on November fifteenth, two thousand five. Directed by Paul Feig and written by Larry Wilmore, who we might remember as. Mr. Brown from Diversity Day. In this episode, Michael's still struggling with what exactly his night with Jan at the end of last episode was or wasn't. It's performance review day, and he uses that time to have each member of the office help him to completely overanalyze a voicemail that Jan has left him in anticipation of coming to the branch later that day. And she says that nothing but business will be discussed. That's it. So the whole episode, Michael continues to find meaning where there really isn't any, leading to several painfully awkward encounters between him and Jan the whole episode. Meanwhile, Jim figures out that Dwight thinks that today, a Thursday, is a Friday. So him and Pam conspire to keep Dwight from learning the true day of the week so that they can convince him to not show up for work on the next day, which is the real Friday. So that's our episode. Yeah, so we pick up right where we left off with um, with the client where 
Jan and Michael both have whatever happened after the client meeting fresh on their minds. Jan left this voicemail to Michael that that will be all we're talking about today is is performance reviews, not about whatever happened, um, just so you're clear. So it's definitely on both of their minds. Yeah, he he's talking about this sort of fling he's had with Jan, which it's revealed they didn't have sex or anything. It was probably just kissing and talking. And she has decided that she doesn't want it to continue. But then Michael corrects himself. We didn't want it to continue. It, it was unprofessional. He's trying to make himself feel better by saying that it wasn't just Jan who thought this was for the best. He thought so too. And he says, when people say something's mutual, it never is. But this was mutual. <laughs> it's like a breakup, except they didn't even... Yeah, it, completely overanalyzing and completely taking it too far, true to Michael's character. Yeah, it's funny, considering how The Client was such a great, like, fun Michael episode, and we see the best of him, we see a lot of the worst of him in this episode, as he assumes things, as he, he, he calls Jan his girlfriend at some point, which is completely inaccurate. They kissed once, and when when Jan calls him during the day, he says, maybe it wasn't so mutual after all. And he asks, to what do I owe this pleasure? And she says, I'm returning your many calls. So <laughs> she, that's a great reveal. Like, that's a great moment of comedy because Michael is trying to make us think that she's just calling out of the blue. But really, he's called her several times and she's just returning his call. So <laughs> the fact that that little snippet got in, I'm just returning your many calls, Michael. Uh, that, that's a, it made me laugh a lot because it is just a really smart moment of comedy. And we do see this of Michael often and i won't give anything away but we see him kind of run away with ideas a lot um, especially when it comes to women that if there's even the slightest possibility of a future he just takes it to we've been married for 10 years and we have two kids like it's we, we saw it with katie the purse girl we're seeing with jan now and we'll see it again i think the first time i watched through the office i was in college with my roommate and we we would yell at michael a lot to stop thinking with your penis like that, that that was a phrase we used because I mean, looking at this episode, that's exactly what he's doing. He obsesses over every positive thing she says and ignores every negative thing she says. So when they've gone and had the suggestion box meeting and someone says, don't sleep with your boss, Jan goes and confronts him in his office and says, I can't believe you, Michael. I can't believe you would it would go this far. This is ridiculous. And he says, I just want to ask you one question. Where did you get your outfit? <laughs> it's it's so bad. He is so blind to everything that is going on. And Dwight comes in and he's wanting to get his performance review done. And he says, I even come in on holidays. And he says, I have a copy of your key, Michael. And uh, Jan says, that's a serious offense. And Michael echoes, that is a serious offense, as is toying with a man's heart. And he just turns it on Jan. It is so ridiculous. It really is sort of the worst of Michael because a lot of this show is Michael's quest for companionship. And this is really his first chance at it. And he's just blowing it all over the place. And we also see some of the worst of Michael when he takes what's happening in his personal life with Jan into his work. We see him kind of basing everyone's reaction of the voicemail into their performance reviews, if that makes sense. So we see a moment with Stanley, we see one with Pam, where 
Pam starts to say something like, oh, I don't think you are going to like where this is going. I don't think Jan's really into you. But she stops herself when Michael catches on to what she's saying and says, great, well, now I'm in a terrible mood. Let's do your performance review. <laughs> That's a great transition, like, by the way. He's, he's bringing in his personal life into the work. And Stanley catches on to that and says only good things about the voicemail and how oh, women say more in their pauses than they do in their words. And, and oh, yes, I learned this on the ghetto. <laughs> <laughs> Which got me one of my favorite Stanley lines. Because he's just feeding into every little nuance that Michael wants to hear. He wants to hear that he's right and that Stanley is wise from his time in the ghetto. And just he's just completely BSing his way into a good performance review. <laughs> I think that got my best laugh from the episode. When when Stanley says, oh, it's all right. I did learn it on the street. On the ghetto, in fact. He's so removed <laughs> from uh, from this street lifestyle that he he doesn't even know the correct phraseology. On the ghetto. Like, what is that, Stanley? I don't know. But it, it made me laugh so hard. <laughs> and they talked about that in the commentary, too. They were debating in the ghetto, on the ghetto. In the ghetto was the correct phrasing, but on the ghetto is just so much funnier because... Stanley has never been in the ghetto. He's a suburban dad. Like, he's just whatever. And and his misuse of, of that phrase is totally lost on Michael. We get a lot of different performance reviews. There was Stanley's just then. You mentioned Pam's. And when she senses that it's going south, she sort of starts telling what Michael wants to hear, just like Stanley does. Uh, Angela reveals that she is excited for her performance review because she used to be in the pageant circuit when she was a kid. She says, I believe I hold up very well, even to severe scrutiny, which maybe that's a reason why she's so uptight a lot of the time, because pageant lifestyle can be pretty stressful, as I understand. And when she she's following Michael to his office and he sort of closes the door on her because he wants to talk with Jan instead, she, she looks so put out because she's not going to sit there and be judged by Michael. I hate to say I have a little bit of Angela in me. I've always been one of those people that just... I don't know, like when, when report cards came out or when you have to have a meeting with your boss or something, I'm always very, tell me what you think, which is just a <laughs> teacher's pet mentality, but uh, so be it. I, I'm sort of the same way as well. I think it actually comes with being a performer to a certain extent, too. You're, you're putting yourself out there and you want to hear what people think, so... Yeah, absolutely. There's also this moment when we go to accounting and the, the rumor of Jan and Michael has started spreading. And Kevin says, I heard they made out and had sex. And Oscar says, I just heard they made out, nothing more. And Kevin repeats, well, I heard they made out and had sex. And he's really relishing that. And then Angela interrupts and says, hey, office romances are nobody's business but the people involved. And is she hinting at something? We don't know, or do we? Uh, and Kevin just gives the camera this side eye, and he says, romances? <laughs> like, wh what's going on? What is she talking about? And uh, that is for everybody to find out, I suppose. We also do learn in this episode that there is a character who, it's kind of a serious moment, that there's this character named Tom who... I guess about a year ago, Phyllis says, worked in accounting. It was during the uh, suggestion box session, and Tom had written that he hoped that they would have better outreach for people suffering from depression, and Phyllis insinuates that Tom had killed himself about a year prior, which was a really dark moment for the office. I did not expect that watching it for the first time. 
it is heavy. Definitely like, oh, wow, they went there. Let's move on from that. Uh, Jan, when Michael first reads that comment card, Jan says, hey, that actually sounds pretty serious. Uh, uh, Michael says, hey, everybody stop making jokes. And then that's when Phyllis explains, oh, it was Tom. Yeah, you remember Tom? Eh. And something interesting in the commentary, Larry Wilmore, who wrote the episode, says they hint towards Tom again in season three, which I don't remember off the top of my head. So we'll we'll certainly have to keep an ear open when we get around to season three, see if we can remember to mention Tom again. Yeah, I, I can't think of what they're referencing either, but we'll have to keep an ear out. Then the sort of conclusion to Michael and Jan is when they finally get to the final confrontation after the suggestion box scene and they're going out to the elevator and everybody can hear them still. And Jan straight up tells Michael, you're rude, you're inconsiderate, you have coffee breath, it's your personality. But then, as I said, Michael ignores the bad and only latches onto the good. And she says, it's nothing about your looks. And so Michael has his little victory in the sense that, hey, you're a good guy. And you don't, it's not that you look bad. It's just all this other stuff that he doesn't care about. He he cares that he looks good and that he's a, quote, good guy. And that was it. <laughs> now, as for funny moments, we can just start with the cold open, which are always great. In this one, Dwight has a sort of giant inflatable exercise ball. And he's he's bouncing back and forth and rolling his hips side to side. And uh, he's bragging to Jim about all the health benefits of sitting on this instead of an actual chair, even for just 10 minutes a day. It works out your abs, gives you a stronger core, better sex. And all the while, he keeps unintentionally knocking things over onto Jim's desk. And <laughs> Jim says, hmm, how much does that thing cost? <laughs> Dwight says $25. And Jim, for a second weighs the pros and cons and he says okay i can afford 25 dollars." and he grabs his scissors and he goes over and he pops the the ball out from under dwight i love that moment and we learn in the commentary that they had done this like 10 times 10 different balls and this was the only one that john krasinski hit a seam on the ball and it went down in under a second but normally and it was supposed to deflate really slowly so when you're watching the scene that they did put in where the ball deflates very quickly, you can watch uh, John, or Jim rather, either, you can watch Jim just completely duck out of the scene very, very quickly, and you can see him grabbing his face because he's laughing, which just makes me <laughs> die. I-, I wish that there was a deleted scene or something like that that included one of the original takes of the slow deflate, because I think that would have been really funny too. But knowing that the one that we got was the exception really does make it that much funnier. But I, I can't help but think that it would be really funny to see Dwight just so- sort of slowly descending behind his desk while giving Jim the evil eye, you know? That's exactly, yeah. <laughs> the look on his face just silently sinking below his desk. But at the same time, having it popped out from under him and just collapsing under the floor, I mean, that's pretty funny too. So I'm not going to complain. I think my next one, in order of the episode anyway, was um, right after the uh, the credit scene rolls and Michael calls Pam into his office to talk about the Jan voicemail. And his reasoning goes like this. He says, Pam, you're trustworthy. And Pam says, thank you. And Michael says, and a woman. <laughs> and Pam just goes, oh, oh no. Oh like, no. <laughs> oh, you, you didn't call me in here because I'm trustworthy. You called me in here because I'm a woman. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, it, it is a funny moment. Um, Dwight tries a different weird kind of warfare in this episode with Jim 
where they're preparing for their performance reviews and Jim's over there eating his applesauce. And Dwight says, hey, you should tell Michael to keep more of this product that we don't sell in stock. He doesn't say it like that. He actually names a pro- the product. It's like double-tabbed yeah. manila folders or something like that. Yeah, ex- that's exactly it. Yeah. He says, you you should tell Michael that we should keep more of these two-tabbed manila folders in stock. Uh, and you'll, you'll certainly get a raise for that. And the joke is that they don't even sell that product. And it's just a strange way for Dwight to try and get Jim fired or paid to deuce or something. I don't know. Make him look like a fool even. Uh, it, it's just a, a weird tactic in for, for anybody, really. It is. And um, it's it's his poorly constructed way of trying to get Jim to step on his own foot. But then we see Dwight in one of my favorite moments of the episode pumping up for his performance review in the stairwell. He's he's playing, I think it's a Motley Crue song. Uh, pardon my my lack of knowledge, but he's just absolutely jamming in the stairwell, air kicks and punches and dancing and trying to, to pump himself up to convince Michael to give him a raise. And one of my favorite lines from that is something along the lines of, the least you could do is keep my pay consistent with inflation. <laughs> Just rationalizing his pay, even when he's this passionate about it, is pretty funny. It is. And we also learn Dwight is on a laser tag team in this episode. Uh, In the suggestion box meeting, he's repeating everything Michael says because he feels like it's necessary, apparently. And it's also because of Dwight that things like don't sleep with your boss gets read out loud. Uh, Michael had the discretion to not read it because he knew that Jan would not like it, but Dwight picks it up and reads it aloud anyways. And then in his actual performance review, he quotes Lex Luthor from Smallville. He says, you have no idea what I'm capable of, which I, I guess that's a good quote when you look at it from a positive light, but it's, it's coming from Lex Luthor, who's Superman's like, arch nemesis <laughs> so it's once again you know in halloween dwight was dressed as a sith lord here he's quoting lex luther we really sort of get an idea of who dwight looks up to in uh the movies <laughs> and i love in that scene um he says this quote and michael assumes that he's quoting from superman and dwight says no it's from smallville <laughs> like just a much less impressive i mean sorry for any smallville fans but like You would assume he's quoting Superman. He's not. No. And then the whole Thursday, Friday thing where in his performance review, Dwight is bragging about how I've never been late. I've never missed a day. I came in on holidays. And then the very next day he shows up at 1230 uh, because Jim and Pam have convinced him or maintained the illusion instead that the Thursday was a Friday instead. And so he slept in on Saturday and didn't come into work. And so we have that great final shot of the episode of a disheveled Dwight tie shirt askew, shaving cream on his face, dropping his briefcase, running into the building, shouting, it's fine, it's fine. (laughs) And Michael upstairs, you know, never a day late my ass or whatever. like (laughs) Just completely, you know, I you, you swore yesterday that you were never late and here you are. And I, Jim could not have picked a better time to, to pull that prank. As he said in a deleted scene, I think it's the gift that keeps on giving or something like that. One last funny moment from me is we get another Creed moment in the the suggestion box scene where somebody has said something about Michael's B.O., 
And Toby says, you know, I think they're talking about you. Aren't the suggestions for you? And Michael says, if by that you are inferring that yada, yada, yada. And Creed later corrects him and says, boss, you meant he was implying you were inferring. <laughs> and and then Michael says, you know what, Creed, I'm inferring that you smell bad. I mean, those aren't his words, but that that's the gist of it. it it's just funny that Creed, he, he's so silent so much of the time, but then he speaks up to correct Michael's verb usage. Cool. <laughs> yeah, which is not something I think that the later Creed would do. Maybe. I mean, Creed's a weird dude. We'll see some some very special Creed moments later on, but I didn't think grammar was one of his passions. No, it's certain. A lot of characters aren't the the characters that we know them by the end just yet. Kelly gets a lot more talkative here pretty soon. Creed gets a lot weirder pretty soon. Everybody else becomes more of a mainline cast than, quote, guest stars, as they're still currently credited in the, the end credits. But it, it's, a, it's a growing process. And right now, Creed is, a, is passionate about grammar, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Works for me. For deleted scenes, Oscar reveals that he was worried about his performance review because he exceeded his personal slash sick days. But Michael is totally unconcerned because he's distracted. Uh, works out for Oscar for sure. And then Dwight shows Jim that he has prepared visual aid for his his performance review to convince Michael that he is deserving of a raise. And so he comes up with an acronym for his name. Uh, do you have that written down, Katie? I do not, but I think it's Dwight, worker, incredible worker, great worker, terrific, or something like that. Yeah, it's close. It's it's uh, determined, worker, intense, good worker, hard worker, and terrific. So he's he That's includes right. the word worker three times. And Jim's response is, he says, I've prepared a visual aid of my own. And so he takes a yellow notepad and he draws a stick figure and then he uh, writes his name going down on the side. He says, uh, Jim is Jim. My name is Jim. <laughs> uh, and then Dwight says, you know, that's that's a total waste of your M. You could say magnificent worker, marvelous worker, more money for this worker. Man, I like this worker. And then the one he, he settles on as his favorite is Mighty Worker. So it, he's almost sort of helping Jim out. Jim says, I'll, I'll use that last one. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's very passionate about his uh, name acronyms. And he does seem to be helping Jim out. That was kind of a nice moment. I, I love the Jim moment in the deleted scene where he's trying to get more information on Michael's hookup with Jan uh, <laughs> by using baseball terms. You know, first base, second base. And Michael's kind of playing into it. Yeah, we went to first base. Uh, and then he kind of hints at second base and Jim <laughs> goes, he dives into these super complicated baseball terms that I don't have written down. I could not even begin to tell you what baseball terms they were. But, oh, yeah, the the batter, you know, hit a infield fly, infield signal, fly to signal left. from third base coach, <laughs> fly to deep right. <laughs> no, that's what, yeah. And, my, and Michael just got so lost and just kind of nodding along and, oh, uh. Yeah. <laughs> and Jim's getting really excited, like, oh, oh, you went left, didn't you? Or some like, <laughs> just kind of leading Michael on to think, you know, that Jim knew what he was talking about when Michael had no clue. It was a great moment. I wrote that one down as well. I just, I, I love when Michael pretends that he knows what people are talking about, but he's clearly not in on it. Uh, whether it's uh, the scene in Hot Girl where he's cleaning out his car and, well, it's a deleted scene, I, I think. And, 
Ryan is saying all these bands that Michael might be interested in. And then he starts getting to the point where he starts naming fake bands because no matter what he says, Michael's going to say, oh, yeah, I really like their work. It's the same sort of situation here. He's a bit of a yes man. Yeah, he, he is a yes man for sure. Uh, he, he he just wants to appear hip and cool. And of all his opinions of people in the office, he certainly thinks that Ryan and Jim are the hip and cool ones. Then we also have an extended suggestion box scene uh, where a scavenger hunt kind of thing is revealed or a treasure hunt, whatever you want to call it. The The first one says, check the supply shelf. And so Michael sends Ryan to go check the supply shelf. And then that one says, check the windshield. Doesn't specify which one, but Ryan goes out and he checks windshields. And then that one says, check under the men's bathroom sink. And that's when we cut away then. But then at the end of the deleted scenes, we get one final one where it says, uh, check under the suggestion box or something like that. And it's a note that says, I can't believe I kept this up all day. And it's from... Ryan, he set this up for himself, uh, for, uh, I guess, a distraction from work all day. I don't know, but it, it was a fun little deleted scene. There's also another good Ryan one where um, Ryan tells Dwight that Michael gave him a small raise in his performance review, which Dwight has a good point. Ryan's a temp, not sure he should even have a performance review, but Ryan discloses that he was given this raise that he didn't ask for. And Dwight just loses it and starts like pounding the vending machine that they're standing near and just clearly so unhappy that Michael might prefer Ryan. Yeah, it's that continued rivalry between him and Ryan that is clearly one way because I don't think Ryan feels threatened by Dwight at all. Uh, Oh, well. (laughs) And speaking of Dwight, that scene in the stairway where he's jamming out to some rock music, psyching himself up before his review, it runs a little bit longer and it includes him saying goodbye and thank you to Michael. And at one point he calls him Mia Moore, which I don't know if he really knows what he's saying. Uh, <laughs> and then it closes with him looking up. He grabs the boom box after he's turned the music off and he looks up and he sees that the camera was looking through the crack in the door. And he just sort of meekly walks the opposite way on the staircase so that he, he's not walking up to the camera. And there's one last one I had um, that I did think was worth bringing up was... Michael, in his desperation to find out information on Jan and see what she thinks about Michael, Michael calls Jan's now ex-husband, which is just supremely inappropriate. And, oh, God. <laughs> oh, it is it is so bad. Uh, I, I wrote that one down as well. And he, it's funny. <laughs> I actually wrote this in caps. I said, Michael calls Jan's ex-husband. Like, I can't believe <laughs> he did this. <laughs> and he, he judges uh Mr. Gould based on his understandably angry reaction to Michael calling with these personal questions that aren't his business. He says, if my phone conversation was any indication of his relationship with Jan, then no wonder they they split up. <laughs> he says how angry he is and oh he uses harsh language and he's impatient. Well yeah, he is with you, Michael, because <laughs> you just called because you hooked up with his ex wife. Like of course. Yeah, and Michael brings it up in that final scene and by the elevator with Jan, and she is understandably upset as well. She actually gets a lot more pissed off and says, you have no right to be involved in my personal life, and why would he call you? Because Michael says, he called me. No, he didn't, Michael. Jan just gets really upset about it. As for commentary facts that we haven't mentioned, I do just want to mention that the talking head that we talked about with Stanley earlier was uh, his first talking head when after he has talked about the whole on the ghetto thing he says it's all about my bonus 
And so that was Stanley's first talking head of the series, according to the commentary people. And then the phone conversations in the episode were real phone conversations, which, again, people don't always do. Typically, if you were having a conversation with somebody on speakerphone, like Michael does at several points in this episode, you would have Steve Carell sitting behind his desk looking at his phone, and then you would have somebody else, whether it was Melora Hardin as Jan or somebody else just reading her lines off camera reading and that was that would be how they interact but melora harden said that they actually did the phone calls where she would go sit in another room and she would call the phone and they would actually do the scene as a phone conversation which is really cool it is you don't see that too much i also had a couple that weren't mentioned one is in the very first pam and michael scene originally it was going to be brought up that pam wanted a new chair uh they didn't end up using this in this episode, but later on, actually in season four, this little plot line does come back. So keep an eye out for that. They, they did talk about during the suggestion box scene that they broke character. The, the, the cast as a whole broke character more often than normal, uh, just because it's a pretty funny scene. And Rain Wilson in the commentary talks about how he's gotten good at knowing when the camera's not on him so that he can take a moment, break character, laugh at the joke, and then get back to his sort of deadpan look that Dwight always has. I, I love that. that the, the, the idea that we think that scene is really funny. And yeah, the cast thought it was pretty funny too. My second to last topic of, of discussion for the commentary is the... Um, the accidental boob grab that Michael has when he's trying to shake Jan's hand uh, when when she first comes in to the office really was rehearsed um, as an accidental boob grab. He he was going to reach her arm and accidentally grabbed her chest instead. And Melora Hardin said, that's hilarious. We have to use that. So that was funny that they did incorporate a true accident into the uh, final cut. I actually didn't notice that grab when I watched the episode by itself. And so the, the commentary was like, oh, he did do that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it's easy to miss. It looks like her shoulder. It's not her shoulder. <laughs> yeah. I, it's a real subtle thing. But uh, the, the commentary definitely brought it to my eyes. And then um, last one I have is that the ending scene at the elevator, at least a large chunk of it, was improvised between Steve Carell and Melora Hardin, where they're they're going back and forth, and Jan says nothing really happened that night. You just you were a good friend. You comforted me. You cried with me. All that kind of stuff. That was improvised. It was pretty cool. I, I always love knowing what is improvised and what was scripted, and it, it, sometimes it really is hard to tell between the two. And that perfectly leads into my discussion topic for this episode, which they talk about in the commentary that in one of their improvisations. Jan kisses Michael in that very last scene by the elevator. So my question for you, Chad, and for the audience is, what do you think that Jan feels about Michael at this point? We have seen her detest Michael, and we've seen her make out with Michael within a very short amount of time. So what do you think is going through her head right now regarding Michael? I think that that Pam got some of it right. You know, Pam... Uh, during her performance review, in order to placate Michael and to sort of get herself a better review, she says, I think she's feeling conflicted. She she wants to like you, but she also wants to maintain a professional relationship with you and this and that. I, I think without meaning to, Pam really did sort of hit on it. Call it women's intuition. I don't know. But I do think that Jan is feeling a little bit conflicted. I think that uh, Michael was there. Michael showed that he cared. 
at the restaurant about her, about her divorce, about making her feel better. Uh, Michael had also just impressed her uh, with his sales abilities. I, I don't think it's far-fetched that she would fall for him a little bit. And I, I do think that, yeah, she was caught up in the moment just a little bit, but I don't think she at this point is quite so impulsive that she wouldn't have been able to control herself if she wanted to do something with Michael or not, you know? I definitely agree. I think she's very conflicted. Yes, because they work together. And also because Jan is a very professional, very put together woman. And I think the idea of her falling for someone like Michael, who was just this goofy, irrational, weird dude, <laughs> I think is completely against probably what she's normally gone for in a man. And just, I think she's shocked that she might be interested in him. I think she's kind of disappointed with herself that that she's feeling anything for Michael at all. Yeah, I, I certainly think that any feeling or any moment she was caught up in uh, at the end of The Client might have gone away or diminished quite a bit during the course of this episode, seeing how sort of obsessive Michael can be with these sorts of things. But we'll see in the future, I suppose, exactly what comes of it. I think it, it, it's definitely an interesting relationship at this point. Definitely something to keep an eye on. And I think with that, that's the end of the official seventh episode of An American Workplace. You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash workplacepod or on Twitter at workplacepod. Please remember, if you feel so inclined, to rate or review, subscribe on iTunes. We would really appreciate it. You can also email feedback or ideas to workplacepod at gmail.com. You can contact me on Twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash katie.white. And the best place to find me is at chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A and facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. In all of the show notes and all of our contact information can be found at our website, workplacepodcast.com. And that's all for this week. Thank you all for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on Episode 7 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in Episode 8 next week for our discussion on the next two episodes of Season 2, Email Surveillance and Christmas Party. Bye. He says, and Luke's leather... He says, I can't speak, good Lord. So he, I'm struggling.